Good morning. Welcome to Pan Radio. I'm glad you've joined us this morning in a very special edition as we interview Laura Giles, Pan. I'm Rick West, and today Laura and I are going to to explore the idea of seeing mental illness as a spiritual illness. As most of you know, in addition to hosting this weekly podcast, Laura Giles is a practicing licensed clinical social worker in private practice in Richmond, Virginia. He's also the author of two books, several books, obviously, uh, about animism, one called Angel Whispering, How to Talk to Your Spirit Guides, and one called How to Be a Panist, A Guide to Creating a Modern Animist Lifestyle. Additionally, she facilitates spiritual tours to destinations around the world. We all know her as a an original thinker who's been thinking about the ideas that we're going to talk about today for some time and who wants to explore ideas around how to offer better support for people suffering mental illnesses. Laura recently shared an article from the Mad in America website. It was written by Catherine DeCloth, describing Catherine's experiences with bipolarity, both within the medical, conventional medical setting, which pretty much means medication, and with a variety of alternative approaches. And Laura has some fascinating insights uh, to share with us about this today. But before we start, let's take a moment and share our gratitude. As animists, we know that the universe teems with the life force. We're grateful for the life that pours out of the stars and weaves together this incredible tapestry we call reality. We thank the archetypal elements for their gifts. We thank the earth for stability and prosperity. We thank the water for bringing the seeds of life. We thank the air for the eternal flow and the fire for creating eternal change. We ask our guides to help us today as we speak to help us find our inner wisdom. We call upon the messenger to ensure that our words are strong and to the point and to keep a watchful eye on the marvelous technology that makes this podcast possible. Thank you. Thank you all. To all, we extend our deepest gratitude. Thank you. Okay, then. Laura Giles. Laura, how are you doing this morning? I am fabulous. What a wonderful introduction. Thanks for that, Rick. And it's it's so weird to be on this side of the podcast. But I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for hosting (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we've kind of flipped the script today. Uh, the interviewer yeah. is the interviewee, and that, that's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, because, and it's because it's a topic that you know a great deal about, and I, I'm pretty much a layperson in this, so I'm going to ask general questions, and you kind of tell us, uh, you, know, you give us the the the, the feedback from uh, from a more professional pr- perspective. So let's just dive in. Laura, okay. is mental illness a spiritual illness? I think everything's spiritual. I think you do too, because you know we're we're animist and and everything is holistic, and there's really no way to separate out what's mental, physical, emotional. Even though we talk about the elements as being separate things, um, they're all everywhere. It's kind of like you know we have sovereignty and connection. So yeah, you are a single person, but you're also part of the web, and that's kind of how I look at mental illness. And I think. Um, Probably because I'm an animist and that's just my world view, but that's the way that I've always practiced it as a as a professional. Excellent. Well, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk more about this this article as it came up, but um, 
in the article that, that we referred to by Catherine, I think it's Duclos or Duclos, I'm not sure, but um, she talks a great deal about um, this notion of spiritual and mental illness. So I thought maybe we could start by, can you give sort of just a ballpark definition? When we're talking about mental illness, what are we talking about? And when we're talking about spiritual illness, what, what's, what's, can, you know, what, what, what are we saying? So for me, um, mental illness is a Western construct. So the way that I learned it, and I don't know if this is true, but it sounds true to me, is that when um, in, in Christian uh, spirituality, God is at the center of anything and only God can heal. So in order for um, physicians to be able to treat people, they had to separate it out and say, well, God is taking care of your spiritual life, and a doctor can deal with your body. And I, I believe that's where the separation came. And then, you know, when Freud came in 100 years ago, that was the first time they ever talked about mental illness as being a separate thing. Um, that was the birth of psychology, of seeing, well, these are psychological illnesses versus physical illnesses. And while there have been breakthroughs in, in both of those, I think where it all falls down is when you, you – stop seeing these things as interconnected. So in Ayurveda and Chinese medicine, this division never happened. So when you're treating depression, say like from an acupuncture perspective, they do look at everything. They look at what are you eating. They look at your lifestyle. They look at what are your family dynamics. They look at how much sunshine are you getting? What herbs do you need? All of that is, is involved in your treatment planning and to help you to live a more healthy lifestyle. And that's really what it's about. It's about fixing your lifestyle so that you can live more in harmony with nature. So to go back to your question about what's the difference between that and spiritual, I mean, I, it's kind of that same line. It's like where does the line end and begin? And I think with the way that I approach it is you can look at a person through many, many different lenses and you can enter in into treatment on a whole different bunches of levels. So I'm looking at what you're eating. If you're eating a Western diet, well, that needs to be fixed because if your body doesn't have the energy to make the change, you know, we're physical beings, it's not going to happen. So more and more and more, because our food is becoming more and more toxic, I start there. Even if they have depression, even if they have anxiety, it's like what is your body doing? And, and sometimes that will clear it up. Um, so when we say a spiritual illness, it's just that it's showing up in a way that we can't track. So there's no, you know, nothing physical going on. Your blood pressure's fine. Your sugar's fine. And they, that's like, you know, that's when they call me. <laughs> or, or let's say the therapist can't help. And then, then they say, oh, well, it must be spiritual. I think that's what's going on because there's a lot of people now who have a lots of autoimmune stuff, and they can't find a reason. Why is this happening? Who knows? So then they go to the spiritual person they call the shaman in and be like, okay, well, now I can help you. Or it's an exorcism, you know, something like that, and now the priest can help you. But I, I really think it's all interrelated. Well, one of the things, just from my own personal perspective as a, as a layperson dealing with the medical establishment, the one thing I've noticed about I, I'm not, I, I kind of want you to speak to the, the quote, mental illness section of, of, of this, but just as, going to a doctor for regular things, they seem to treat symptoms and not causes. They don't seem to spend a lot of time trying to figure out what makes things happen. It's kind of what you were just talking about. But, but how is that true in, in, in the way we treat mental illness as well or, or what we're – 
I think we need a better term for that, but but for the minute, let's call it mental illness. Is, is it true that that um, that the, the the medical establishment is looking more at symptoms and not root causes? Is that is that fair to say? Yeah. So the the psychology industry is based on a medical model. So you come in, you have these symptoms, and based on these symptoms, they give you a diagnosis, and then based on your diagnosis, they give you a treatment, which often includes drugs. That's what. Uh, Western medicine is good for drugs and treating symptoms. So your symptoms do go away, but your underlying cause is still there. And that's never the way that I've looked at it. I mean, there is a cause for everything. And if you don't treat the cause, then you just hang on to that those symptoms and you can pass it on. So then it becomes intergenerational issues and not just your issue, And which I think animism does a beautiful job of addressing that because if you're living well, then you're cleaning up your stuff and you're not passing it along to anybody, not in, in your neighbors, your family, your, your descendants, your, your, none of that. And I think that's part of the reason why we have such problems now is because we're not cleaning up our stuff. A lot of people aren't animists and we aren't taking care of the earth in the way that an animist would and we're not living in relationship with anything. I think loneliness is a huge component to all sorts of problems that so we're just not connected. In your practice, do you talk to people about their ancestry and about uh, tapping into ancestry and tapping into greater spirits, or, or is that is that something you just can't do in a, in a clinical setting? I do. Um, I I don't know if my clients, some of them don't have any idea who I am. It's just like, oh, you're on the list, you're close to my office or something like that, and they just pop in. Um, most of them do know, though, in advance where I'm coming from, and it's totally cool. Yes, we definitely talk about that. Um, everybody's not open to it, but one of the things in, in trauma, which is uh, my area of expertise, is that they are talking more about that. Trauma is about being holistic and living in the body. It is about intergenerational trauma. We do understand epigenetics now. So the science is catching up with um, the spirituality, and there's so much more overlap than there used to be. And to me, that's such an exciting world to live in when you can talk to your peers in a way that they can understand it, finally. <laughs> <laughs> Could you uh, just just real briefly define the term epigenetics? It's an interesting use. So, um, yeah, so there's this um, epigenetics is about um, stuff that's not DNA. So okay. you can learn things and then press that learning on to your kids. So I think this was monkeys. I'm not sure if I have – I'm not good on details. If you listen to me at all, you know I can't tell the story. But, and I'm, I'm not good with details. But the gist of it is is that scientists looked at some monkeys on an island and, found, and taught them to do something. Let's say that they taught them how to crack nuts. Mm -hmm. And then they looked at monkeys on another island, and they, those monkeys on the other island learned how to do that too. So that's yeah. – without it being taught. So that's a form of epigenetics. It's like – I don't know. This 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 uh, learning gets transmitted. Um, yeah, it's but the it's cultural also, transmission of knowledge that you yeah you talk yeah. about this a great deal in in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, in the uh, in the article that we're talking about, um, Mr. Claus talks about the um, I, I at some length about this oscillation between connection and separation, and the the, the tension that arises from it and plays out through our lives. She says, um, if I can find the quote, 
She says, we're all a part of the wholeness from which we come, and as such, we both feel the separation of being a part and of the connection, and of being a part of the a part of the connection and a part of separation. In other words, we, we, what she's suggesting is that we we have this tendency to move from we, we oscillate between the frequencies of, of connection and separation. Does that register with you? And do you see that in terms of uh, of, uh, of some way to help people with uh, with the crisis that we're talking about? Yeah. So um, for those of y'all that don't know, Rick and I started Pan Society together. And Rick, if you remember, when we were talking about what are the the parameters for uh, a church that doesn't have any dogma, and we were talking so much, we spent a lot of time talking about sovereignty and connection. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly it, the the separation and connection. And both of those things have to happen, and they both need to be balanced. Um, So I don't mean 50-50, but sometimes you're more um, doing your own thing and sometimes you're more into the we, but they have to... um, Working like the cycle of life. Everybody needs both, and we're such a disconnected society. And I think, to me, that is the biggest contributor to mental illness, is that so many people are just so disconnected. People are social creatures. We're not meant to to go through life alone. And if you look at the way that we rear our children, the first thing we do is we put them in a nursery in a in a bin by themselves, which is awful. <laughs> You yeah. know, humans need touch. If you look at any other animal, they don't do that. The first thing a mom's goat does, for example, is they're going to lick them clean, and they're they're stimulating them to get them to move and to breathe, and they're next to them all the time, and we put them in a little bin in the nursery. And then they go sit, sleep in a bassinet most of the time, and then, you know, they're in their own room. If you don't have your own room as a kid, then it's like you're deprived. But in tribal cultures, the mom wears the baby until the baby's weaned often. I mean, that's a big kid to be wearing them. And we just, we're touch deprived. We just don't have the same connections. And I I think that makes us so healthy from jump. Okay. Okay. Well, she also talks about the concept of the spiritual emergency when, when, um, well, just, just real briefly, I, my background is anthropology, at, at least in part, and they refer to, the old studies, at least, used to refer to to this uh, this process they call liminalism or the liminal state, where you're sort of in between two worlds and basically anything can happen next. I kind of see this this dance of connectedness and separation as that, that, that's kind of the, the the universal dance. That's the duality dance, I, I, and I think mm-hmm. we we kind of do go back and forth between these things, and I think it's necessary. What she suggests in the article is that in the case of mental illness, the separation portion becomes way out of balance and becomes more critical or more more fundamental to the individual than, than the connection piece, and that that creates, say, as she calls it, a spiritual emergency. Is, is that? And do you think is that fundamental to to understanding uh, how to treat, how to support people? who have uh, mental mental issues? I do, because if you look at, um, so all of that, what we just said, what you just said, is all true, and then you add to it the, the piece of that we are so individual-focused in our country, and I think in the Western world, but less so, I think, I think we are the supreme at it, that from the time you're little, if you have any affluence at all, you're setting your kids up for academic success. And 
being right and um, knowing things, and it's very mental and it's very individualistic. We're not teaching people how to succeed in life. So we're not teaching them how to cook. We're not teaching them how to fail. <laughs> There's lots of failure in life. And if you're not equipped to fail, a lot of people that I see, are they just don't know how to fail. So they don't try. Or if a failure is the end of the world. Because we're so success-driven and so individual-driven. Um, and so a lot of times people don't know how to have relationships. There's real fundamental things that we are not teaching kids. We're not teaching kids how to, to value themselves and how to connect and how to have relationships. So we got a hookup culture because people don't know how to date. And they think it's just about me and my convenience and you're not fitting in so well, so I'll just use you for sex because, you know, we both need that. And then forget about the rest of it, which leads to more disconnection and loneliness. So I think it's pervasive throughout the society. It's not just one thing. But it absolutely adds to the, the spiritual and the mental breakdown of a person because the soul fragments. That's like trauma. It's, why, I think people why do you think, think trauma that is? As, why do I think what is? Oh, that, that the society, that, that we choose fragmentation of the individual over cohesion. Well, if you look at the history of the United States, so we came here, the early people that came here, so not talking about the people who were already here, came here fleeing something, fleeing religious persecution, fleeing the oppression of the aristocracy, and people wanted the opportunity to be their own people, to make their own success, to make their own way in the world. And for the first time, I think, in history, it didn't matter what your name was. It didn't matter who your parents were. You could do anything. And I think it's an overcorrection. I think those are all wonderful, wonderful things. But I think it's an overcorrection and an over-reliance on that. So I, a lot of people came here because they were traumatized and oppressed. And looking for safety, it's like, well, if I can make enough money, if I can make a name for myself, if I can have these things and these things and these things, I will be safe. Instead of if I find a place where I can belong and the people where I can belong, which a lot of other cultures do, then I can be safe. Or at least spring from that. You know, we don't have roots. We don't have grounding. And you can never be safe if you don't have that. So you need to have that connection because that's where those roots come from. Right, right. Yeah, it seems it, it does seem that way that, that we've uh, you and I've had this discussion before that, that what what has been created in the Western world out of this material model, out of frankly the Cartesian model from six centuries ago, is this um, amazing, truly awesome technological fantasy world that surrounds us and in in some ways it is magnificent but it has yeah. seemed to have left this um this um ability to to cohere in a, in a more social fashion um behind and not certainly not not always for the best of the individual i, I know well let, let's uh, sort of a related thing here let, let, let's back to to treatment for a minute is there a legitimate role for medication and treatment Oh, sure. I've seen some people who, uh, I think once you get beyond a certain point, you need somebody to prop you up. You just don't have the energy. You don't have the whatever it takes to do it on your own, and I think medication is a way to do that. Um, I'm not anti-medicine. I don't think that that is um, a cure for sure, so when I'm talking about medication, like if you're, I, I've seen people who are in the throes of a divorce and you're just, you know, it, it's ridiculous. And 
and the stress and all, and, and medication can take the edge off so you can function. Or if you're, like, um, schizophrenic and you just need those, those voices to quiet down so you can just hear yourself, I think medication is fantastic for that. Okay. It's not going to... Okay. It's not going to cure anything, but I think it can take the edge off so you can do something else to help yourself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, I, the question I wanted to follow up with, you kind of touched on earlier, but let's let's get into it in some depth. What, what's the role of um, nutrition and sort of exercise and sort of physical health, and uh, how does that play into mental health? I think it's all related. Um, we don't go outside. <laughs> We don't have a relationship with nature, <laughs> and we don't eat food anymore. We eat food like substances, and you can't function <laughs> as a natural creature if you're not in sync with nature. So you got to eat real food. You got to you know interact with with the world and feel the heartbeat of the earth. And I, I like sleeping on the earth because I thought you can't get any closer to it than that. You know I don't know if you need to do that, but our ancestors certainly did, and. You know, I think it makes a difference. We talked about, we have podcasts and videos about uh, uh, forest bathing and moon bathing and, you know, lots of people already sunbathe. So these kinds of things I think are fundamental. They just put us back in touch with the heartbeat of nature. And we don't do that in our air-conditioned and and, uh, climate-controlled boxes. We don't even touch the earth with our feet. Yeah, that's true. That's true. uh, How much traction does does this sort of conversation get with with patients? I mean, do do people hear this or? or... Oh, I wish more people understood. So here's (laughs) here's my experience with that. So I'll talk to people about nutrition, and they're just like, oh, you're not a doctor. You're not a nutritionist. And then they'll go and they'll spend money on a doctor and a nutritionist who tells them exactly the same thing. <laughs> so I get it. You know, I don't think people think of their therapist as um, dietitians and all of that. But to me, if your therapist is not talking to you about food, which is so fundamental, then you, she's not qualified, period. Um, that is something that I've been hitting on for a long time. It is mainstream instruction now when you get your continuing education. If you're not learning about food, I think you're doing yourself and your clients a disservice. Fair enough, yeah. And one, of, one of the uh, upshots of the, what we were talking about in terms of, of coming, the, people coming west and suddenly not having to have a past to have a future, uh, one of the things, that is a long story, but one of the things that's grown out of that is this sort of um, – fake appeal to authority, that only authorities can talk about uh, a specific little piece of, of, of reality. And we that, that it comes back to interconnectedness. We have kind of delivered our connectedness over to uh, something that's not us. Very, very interesting yeah. when, when that happens. Um, how about uh, another topic we, that's come up in the last few days? With regard to this, is entheogenics? Or, or is there a place for for plant medicine? In ah, <laughs> I think so. I definitely think so. I mean, it's been used in many cultures around the world for who knows how long, forever, because people have a relationship with those plants. They're local to those people, and I think it's the relationship that makes it work. So. Um, and if you take things out, so the Western way is to synthesize things, isolate things, and be like, okay, if this is a compound that works, then we're just going to isolate that and make a um, bioidentical chemical thing of that and then use that because we can do that cheaply 
and quickly. And then they'll be like, okay, this is what you need. And that's not the way that food works. So I'm always going to go for food before supplements, although I'm a fan of supplements as well. Okay. Um, when you eat food, there's all kinds of things that, that are like cofactors. So it's not a vitamin, it's not a mineral, but it'll help you to make enzymes or make, you know, make all these little connections in your body that your body needs to function well. And when you're isolating stuff like that, it's not going to function the same. You might get a result, like aspirin is going to help to be your, with your pain, but it's not willow bark. You know, and when you're isolating, I, I really like, thank God, that uh, marijuana is becoming legal everywhere. I think it's a great medicine. Um, I don't know that I like I it synthesizing agree. that, though. And I think that when you take plant medicine out of its cultural context and out of the relationship, it may work for you, but it's not the same thing. And I think, to me, if you're not getting the relational piece, and if you're not doing your own work, then how much are you really healing? What is it you think about the uh, the plant medicine that that makes that synthesization happen? Is there something in plant medicine that's not in synthetic medicine? I, I bring this up because I, I've noticed that there's a, a a pretty radical movement right this minute among um, science to to create fake uh, I can't fake. Uh, grown proteins that aren't part of a uh, of an animal body, but but are food in, in the in the sense that exactly like you're talking about, they've created the synthetic proteins. And, and I wonder about the, the, the same question comes up for that as it does for for medicine. Is there something in a plant medicine? Do you think that uh, that creates this uh, synthesis? And, and any idea what it might be or how it might work? I think there's a lot of things that we can't quantify and identify. Like if you look at the brain, um, we don't know how it works. <laughs> there's all kinds of yeah. things going on in consciousness. there. Consciousness. The, the word consciousness, <laughs> no, I, nobody knows. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. nobody knows. Yeah. And if you look at DNA, there's a lot of stuff. I don't know what they call it, but there's like, oh, the, oh that's just empty stuff. It doesn't do anything. It does yeah. something. There's a reason why it's there. Yeah, the universe is so 94% think, empty. Yes, I know. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and you need that every thing. So, so I think it's so foolish and so so egotistical to think that you're going to, you know, isolate these things and make these things. Like, like the stuff doesn't matter. Everything matters. Right. I don't right. know. I just think there's something really crazy about. I mean, does it work? Can you make a synthetic thing and and get a result from it? Yeah, you can. But what about the life force? That's yeah, I mean, the life force. That's kind of what I was getting at. Yes. Uh, yeah. There's a life force in it that that comes from the sun and the earth and the you know the the process of living that you can't get from mass manufacturing it and putting uh, uh, chemicals together. It's not the same thing. <laughs> No, it's not. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, changing, they have, um, they have uh, sex robots, and they look like people. If you've yes. ever seen them, they look like people. They respond like people. And I read an article about people like wanting to marry their sex robot because, you know, they're totally agreeable. But that's yeah, not totally creepy. The food thing is creepy, too. I mean, I'm making proteins in the lab. It's just a little bizarre. I, I, I'm not. I'm. 
I'm not down for that just yet. I, I don't know. No, <laughs> I, just, I, I like drinking food. I, I, like I want the food. life force. I do. I want the life force and anything we do. Um, changing directions just a little bit here. Um, I, I know you are a fan of C.G. Jung, and I certainly am a fan of C.G. Jung. I want to talk about that for just a minute. Is there a place for Jungian therapy in in uh, your worldview in, in terms of, of, of mental health? Uh, and by Jungian therapy, I mean broadly bringing the interior to the exterior, basically working through the, 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 the doing the, quote, shadow work that, that goes through Jungian therapy. Is that a legitimate way to, to approach mental illness? Oh, my God. I think if you're not doing that, then you're missing a gigantic piece of sovereignty and connection. So sovereignty is getting to know yourself. And there's so much that we, especially in Western society, suppress because it's not acceptable. You know, I have to fit in. I have to look like this. I have to. There's so many have tos. And we learn from such a young age to suppress all kinds of things. As soon as your mom tells you be a good boy, you're just like, whoop, I must not be doing something that's good. And then you start censoring. And all of these things go into shadow. And I think that the archetypes, and the way that he has created it is just such a beautiful way of understanding yourself and the world. And, you know, these archetypes are in stories. They're everywhere throughout time in all cultures. And so you see them. We see them in movies. That's why we enjoy movies. And it makes it so relatable. And when we can see that, then we can be the best in ourselves. We can be the best expression of ourselves. And it can give us courage to go through things that, that are new to us and we don't know how to do and I think for so many reasons, if you're not doing shadow work, then you're not really getting to know who you are in a deep, deep way. I mean, not to say that there aren't other ways. I think this is a great way. Um, and you're missing out on the experience of living because you're at the center of your world. There's only one you, and if you are not bringing yourself the best self forward, then you're cheating the world and you're cheating yourself and everybody else of the best connection with you, with your existence on earth. I think it's so important. And to create that best person, um, can you just speak for a minute to, to sort of how you, how you might converge um, common, uh, common sort of current medical practice with uh, the, what you would like to see happen? Current In other words, what specific practice. changes what would you make to the to the established medical procedure? Uh, oh, that's kind of hard um, because I don't think it's really in current <laughs> medical okay. procedure. Yeah. Okay. But right. I think that dream work, so it's all the stuff, the soft, squishy stuff that you can't measure, and I think that's why Western medicine doesn't like it. But dream work is so powerful. I mean, that's a connection to your soul. That's a connection to the, the, the what do you call it, the collective unconscious. It's, that's a connection to the universe. And everybody has that every night for free. Why would you not use that? <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and just like Man, Mandela's, what he, you know, he did a lot of work with that. Your unconscious is in that drawing that you create. And you can see it. It's a map. Why would you not use that? <laughs> I think there's no better authority on an individual than these things. 
And if you mm-hmm. can bring them out into the world, then, then they're there for you to use, for yourself, for everything that you ever want to create, so that you can be your best self, so that you can see this darkness and, and run into that and like, oh, what is this? And, and be compassionate with it. Be accepting of it, because everybody has that. That's part of you, and I think that's part of the juiciness. Just out of curiosity, when, when you uh, meet a brand-new patient, what, where, where is your head? What, what's the first what, – what are you looking for when, uh, when someone comes to you? And uh, I mean, that's a broad question, but sort of what, what's your process? Well, I hate to say, but I'm um, um, – I take insurance, and so the first thing that I do is to satisfy the insurance requirement and do the intake and just ask them a bunch of questions okay. just to kind of get a broad overview. I don't think that's the best way to start because it's kind of like an interrogation. I mean, yeah. I do try to make it as conversational as possible. Um, it, it's really not the best that's um, requirement, and I think it's important too because as a professional, you do want a framework to begin. You you do need a treatment plan. You do need to know what's going on. Uh, I wish that it could be more conversational, more relaxed, but I do see the need for it. And you know, I, I like structure, so it's okay. It's okay. But what I'm looking for really, though, yes. and and I think it's easy to see is the light inside, because if if you can see the light inside of people. So there's this thing I don't I don't know. Um, so when when we're with other people, then we're having reactions to them, and we make these little micro movements in our face that they then kind of duplicate back. So it's it's very very small. You probably won't notice that it's happening, but it happens. And this is how people connect. So if you you're sitting at looking at somebody and thinking, oh, I'm so repulsed by this person, they know <laughs> because they're they're making your little micro movements in their face. And so if you're conscious enough, most of us are not all that conscious, you know exactly what they think of you. And when you see somebody and you see their light first, then your face registers that. So you're, you're showing them, oh, I see your light. And they're like, oh, you see my light. And then they do it back, and then it's pleasant. And I think if we approach people in that way versus what's wrong with you, <laughs> you know, or, or if we're reflecting our own self-doubt and unworthiness, I think that's a problem too. Is that often that's what we're we're doing? We're wearing a mask that hides hides all of that instead of showing our light. Literally um, these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> so I think I think the more that we can show up with our light, and the more that we can reflect back somebody's light, even if they don't see it for themselves, the healthier we become as societies because we're all mirrors for each other. Yeah. Okay. No. Oh, great answer. Great answer. Um, I, I don't want to just limit this to, to my little set of questions, so I kind of want to open it up to you. Is there anything else you would like to say about uh, the topic in general? Ooh, um, as far as, like, the spiritual stuff, I, I see a lot of people, and I don't know why. I don't I don't know if it's because people feel comfortable saying stuff, or, or I don't know why. Um, but I think that if you've got some spiritual stuff going on, well, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> if you think you have a receptive uh, therapist to talk about it with, then go ahead and share that stuff. Because a lot of times, I mean, I've, I've had clients like for a year, and, you know, we're doing good work, but then they'll drop a bomb on me that's like spiritual or paranormal in nature. I'm, and I'm like, why didn't you lead with that? <laughs> we could have just saved so much time. Because don't those bear- things are important. 
Mm-hmm. So I also uh, run a meetup group, and we've done meetups on my paranormal experience, my um, my ET experience, my unexplained experience, my spiritual experience, and and they're always packed. And people have all these stories, and they don't have anybody to tell them to because they think, well, if I say this, then somebody's going to think I'm crazy. And I think this whole thing of I can't do this because somebody will think that I'm crazy is what limits us as society from accepting the stuff that we can't explain. So paranormal is just what what science can't explain. It doesn't mean it's not real. Um, But these spiritual experiences, these, these, yes, magic, these magical experiences, those things are real. And I think, you you know, you run it by your own filter. I know some people don't believe in anything. If you can't measure it, it's not real. That's cool. Um, <laughs> but that's, for me, my filter is, did I have an experience? Science. Yeah, then it's real. <laughs> Even yeah, if you yeah. didn't see it, it's real to me. Yeah, so, I believe it was Arthur Clark said that, oh, sorry, Arthur Clark said magic is the, uh, is any technology that's sufficiently advanced that we don't understand it. There's nothing paranormal yeah. about it. It's just it's just advanced tech. So <laughs> I, I totally agree like, with that. I, I don't yeah. think anything's paranormal. If you perceive it, it's normal. Yes. Yes. Yep. Excellent. So I think Excellent. those things need to be brought out more. We need to talk about that stuff more. I mean, if you look at um, Black Elk, who was the Lakota um, uh, spiritual leader, mm-hmm. his stuff is just it's. It's crazy the visions and stuff that he oh, had. Yeah. He kept that all to himself. Flying the England and all, yeah, great stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, we could have some some really beneficial mystic in our midst who never says anything because oh, I don't want to be crazy. Oh. Uh, do you ask those questions? Oh yeah, do you ask oh, those questions? Yeah. Do you ask uh, have you had paranormal experiences or anything like that when, when you're doing uh-huh. therapy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, because sometimes. People... Um, well, I can see how it would make. Huge difference, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they're, they're, yes. Especially if there's, you know, so I'm going to go to the, the most logical reason first. You know, okay, you're you're not, you don't feel really well. How are you sleeping? What are you eating? What's your stress like? I'm going to go to that first. <laughs> but uh, sure. if we well, exhaust that's... them and it's like it's a mystery, well, then we need to look a little farther. And it could be something, you know, you could have some past life stuff going on. That stuff yeah. carries over. Uh-huh. So okay. I think we need to be talking about that stuff. It's real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, certainly the, the 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 first order of questions is are you taking care of yourself? I mean, I, that, that's obvious enough, and I, I can see how you yeah. would, would want to get to the bottom of all that. But, yeah, beyond that is it's how, do, do you respect the – we were talking about Jung a minute ago. Do you respect your interiority? Do you respect yourself enough to, to, to bring your your truth to the fore? And, and I, I know those are that, – that has – I'm a layperson. I don't, you know, I don't have any training in this, but that, that's got to be a huge question in, in that – For uh, sure. In any kind of clinical setting, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm glad mm-hmm. to hear that you're thinking about that. I don't I, – I've never dealt with the, the – uh, what, what we uh, like to call Rockefeller medicine in, in, mm-hmm. in terms of, of a mental illness, but I suspect that uh, it doesn't really deal with uh, – very much like standard health care – I uh, didn't just want to know what's wrong. Here's something to fix it and go away. Bye bye. Yeah. And I have to figure that that that, that mental crises pretty much get the same treatment. In fact, that's that's what uh, DeClaus was talking about in her article, is that uh, she would very much like to be seen as an actual individual with actual thoughts instead of some uh, yeah. uh, 
compilation of uh, you know genetics and uh, <laughs> that, that that can be treated. Yeah. Um, just to kind of to kind of wrap this up. Um, can, can you put this? Uh, we've talked around it quite a bit, but but let's focus on on how since, since we're all animists and since this is sort of an animist podcast and what have you. What? How does this? All, how does animism relate to correcting mental issues that you might run across in your life? So it, it's kind of weird that. I didn't put this together until mm, way into my career. <laughs> but, you know, I'm always asking myself questions, and, and I have a challenging clientele. I work with trauma. And I like that because every time somebody brings me something I've never seen before, it gives me juice and gives me some way to grow, something to find out. And, and so that's kind of how I develop my body of knowledge is just keep asking questions, looking, 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 looking. And, um, you know, Everybody has stuff, and everybody has intergenerational stuff. And when I look at my family, we should be just as jacked up as anybody else because we have our share of stuff too. And I think, honestly, the reason why we're not is because of animism. Because what animism has given me is that those roots. I know who I am. I know who my people are. I'm connected. I've never, I know people don't believe me when I say this, but I've never felt lonely a day in my life, ever. I've never felt yeah. disconnected from people, from my ancestors, from the earth, from the trees. I mean, anything can happen, and stuff has happened. I've, I've not, you know, I'm, I'm happy most of the time, but I've had, like anybody, I've gone through stuff, and I've never lost my center. I've never lost that. And I think when you, when your animism is in your bones, and you know who you are, that then, I don't know, it would take, you know, knock on wood, I'm not trying to tempt fate, but it would take a whole lot to knock me off of that center and, and give me a mental crisis that, you know, that I don't know who I am or I'm in a spiritual thing. Something really, really drastic would have to happen to take that away from me. I think when you're that deeply connected, then you're going to be okay. Yeah, do you think there's a way to teach that? Is there a way to to, to transmit that to others so that, that they find the spark, or is that do you have to or, or, or are you born with it? No. no, no, I don't think it's it's cultural, and I think the problem with modern animism is is we have individual here who's animist, individual here, individual here, individual here, and we don't have the culture. I think I got it because it's in my culture. So my mom never said this stuff to me. It's just the way that we were raised. And um, it's like, I don't know, there's all kinds of things that are transmission, or transmitted culturally that we don't even think about. And, and animism is one of them. Well, if so you're I born think, to, to a Calvinist family of uh, you know, farmers in Indiana who don't believe in any of this stuff, is there a way to, to get, and now you, you, know, you come around and you say, I, you know, I, don't really, I didn't like that, I, I want to be something different. Is there a way to, to, to work with that person to, to bring them closer to an animistic point of view? I think, um, well, one of the reasons people ask me about books, you can read a book, <laughs> but you're going to get it on an intellectual level, and I think that's important. But I think you have to have the lived sense of it. So like when we have our um, Holy Day stuff, come to that. Or come to somebody else's thing. Go to a Native American thing. Go to a, I don't know, whatever, some, some animist culture thing. Live mm -hmm. that and then ask for context. 
and I and I'm saying ask for context because there's gonna be a bunch of different things that is the glue to it that's invisible to you that you don't understand and you're gonna make mistakes. And this is I'm not a cultural appropriation person. I think everything belongs to everybody, but I am a cultural appropriation person when it comes to this. When you don't know what the glue means, then you can miss the magic. That, that's what, sure. that's my problem with the plant medicine is that I people understand. see that, well, I had this great experience, and you think that's the magic. That's not the magic. Right. That's not the right. magic at all. Right. And, and so I think you need both, the, the lived experience of it and the understanding of what it is that you're living by having these conversations. That's why we talk so much. That's why we have salons. That's why we have the podcast. That's why we do this. All of this is to bring people in and help them to understand and give them a foundation. So I'm talking about this. Somebody else may have a different idea. So back to your question about hierarchy. You know, we don't have a hierarchy. Everybody has their wisdom. And somebody, some, a child may say something that's just hits you way in a more profound way. And it's really different <laughs> from what I'm sure. saying. Yeah, so I think you sure. need to listen to everybody. That's why I'm always asking. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you think. So, well, yeah, Laura, get engaged. I think that's the way to 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 get it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, it's been great. You've provided great insight into into all this, and we thank you for that. Uh, for the work, and all, you know, for the work you do. Um, is there? Um, well, let's 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 close out like this. Can you kind of tell people where they might find you, where they might find Pan, where they might find things about animism and uh, and anything about your practice that you care to share? Kind of tell us uh, tell us where you are and how to find you. So I'm at LauraGiles.net. Super easy. Um, I'm not accepting any new clients though, so sorry about that. <laughs> um, but Pan is we have PanSociety.net is our website. Um, we're we're on all pretty much all the social media. You can find us on your favorite one. Um, like I said, if you have a position, we definitely want to hear from you. Come on and weigh in on our private Facebook group. Um, you can post questions on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the podcast. Um, we love your feedback. Love hearing from you. And I'm going to close this out by sending gratitude to the elements and our loving, helping ancestors for being here. I thank all of you for joining us on this edition of Modern Animism Radio. And don't forget... To donate, we need your financial support, and you can do that at our website at pansociety.net or buymeacoffee.com forward slash pansociety. So thank you all for tuning in. I'm Laura Giles with Rick West, and see you all next week. Thank you, Laura. That was great. Bye-bye now.